Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 is where we will spend our time together today as we continue our series entitled Church on the Move. And uh, we have been working our way through the book and uh, we now enter a new section, chapter 3. And uh, there's a lot to be had here, just like all the other chapters we've seen so far. And, uh, and so if you have not been with us on this journey, uh, we've had an opportunity to be able to see that Uh, The book of Acts is a continuation of the uh, ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, The human instrument that God is using is Dr. Luke. And uh, and in using Dr. Luke, you remember the gospel of Luke. We had the opportunity to see uh, incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh. We had the opportunity to be able to see the earthly ministry, uh, the preaching ministry, the miracles, all those things that are recorded for us. We had the opportunity to see the betrayal and the uh, crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection. And what happens now in, in Acts is that we see a continuation of the ministry of the Lord. That uh, just because he's not here physically uh, does not mean that he is not working and moving. And so in the book of Acts, we see that uh, for a period of 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was appearing to the disciples and he was talking to them about the things concerning the kingdom. And so he was preparing them for what was before him. And he told them uh, that they need to go back to Jerusalem and to wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, to empower them uh, for ministry. And so in Acts chapter one, we saw that that they went back and they were uh, together, praying, working together, uh, serving together, loving each other, being together in the upper room. And uh, they were empowered. And uh, the Lord opened up an opportunity from that initial team, 120 or so that were in the upper room uh, that uh, Peter had an opportunity from the sign of the Spirit of God coming to preach and 3,000 were saved that day. We saw from there uh, these 3,000 brought into the church and now you have all these individuals. What's the church going to do now? We saw last week that there was a specific way in which God worked in their lives to help them grow and mature in their relationship. We saw that they were committed to worship. They were committed to the Lord's Supper, the ordinances, breaking of bread, to prayer. And the Bible says that daily, can you imagine that church folk, Christians were around each other every day? Can you imagine that? Every day they were going from the temple and from house to house, and uh, they were taking this new relationship with the Lord very seriously. And so today we're going to transition now, and we're going to see just how God uh, was working and moving. We want to see a specific uh, instance in which the Lord Uh, worked in an individual's life and how that made a great impact on so many uh, in Jerusalem. And so the title of today's message is uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the idea of Jesus Christ or the name of Jesus Christ, uh, I've got to clear up a few things. It's not that Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name or his surname. You see, Jesus means the Lord saves. And so we see that Uh, That was his mission. That was his purpose. And Christ 
it, it talks about the office that he holds. He is the Messiah, the anointed one. There's no other like him. And so when we think about names and we think about the dynamics of names, uh, they mean much more than just identification. Uh, you see, for us, when we read the Bible in the Bible, a name not only identified the individual, but it also described the character of the individual. And so when we look at Jesus, we see the Lord saves. We see that, that that's what he does. That's who he is. He's the, the savior. And now I know that names are very important, though. You know, whenever you are you know, going to have a child, you begin to think about what we want to name our baby. And you might attach the name to some historical person, could be a historical figure. It could be a family member. And you want to attach that name to your to your child. I'm, I'm reading through a book about Booker T. Washington and. And it talks about how he got a chance to change his name once he was free from slavery and just the process about how all that went. And so whenever the slaves were changing their names, they would think about names that were, were folks that were known and renowned and had done great things. And so uh, that, that's a, a very important understanding that names carry with it uh, important meanings, you know, in the positive. Maybe it brings about family members or people you have fond memories of or friendships. But also names can carry bad things. You know, you don't run into too many Judases, do you? How many Jezebels you made in your life? And so, you know, there's also, you know, when somebody has a name or maybe you knew somebody in, that you in a relationship, you're like, no, nah, we can't name nobody that. I got a pad with somebody with that. So, you know, depending on what's going on, you will also choose not to use a particular name. And so when we think about the dynamics here, the name, when we talk about Jesus, there are key things that come along with this. And today in our passage, we're going to look at the fact that what's coming along with who Christ is, is the power, the authority and the reputation. You see that when we say name, that, that's what we're keying in on. And, you know, sometimes you might be looking for a job. I use another example. And, you know, somebody that works there and you ask them, hey, I'm getting ready to apply. Can I put your name down? On the application, because you feel like that's going to give you a position or an opportunity to to have a, a, a better shot at it. Now, you might not want to put the name there because they ain't a really good worker. You might want to work that out. But but it can be positive or negative. And so as we look at this, we're going to see that the Lord uh, in power changes an individual's life. We're going to see the authority that comes along with who Christ is and the reputation that's already been set. In the word of God for who Christ is and how he would operate. Now, let me just warn you, the section we're going to cover today is not the full story. It's not the full account. As a matter of fact, this account, it spans two chapters. And, and if you look at it over a couple of days and so we're just going to be just scratching the surface today, we're going to get just the first part of this account. But it's, it's amazing what God does here and the, and the power that happens just in transforming one life, one life. And uh, hopefully we, we will be encouraged uh, as we come to the passage. So I hope you've had an opportunity uh, to find Acts chapter three. And I'm going to read our first section, which highlights the power of Jesus name. And then we will unpack them as we go. Uh, Acts chapter three, verse one says this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John uh, about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, 
fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And he, he, he leapt, he stood up upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The first thing we're going to see is the power of Jesus' name. You see, this is going to highlight the ability for God to continue to work, even though he had ascended, he was in heaven. He is continuing to work, continuing to minister, continuing to save lives, change lives, continuing to work. Now, the Bible tells us that it was Peter and John who were going up to the temple. Now, we don't know the other disciples could have already been there. They might have been coming behind. They might have been on round. But the text lets us know that specifically we are singling out Peter here and, and John. Now, I love this because if you remember, Peter and John were fishing business partners. They were fishermen together. And so you remember Jesus told them, listen, you, you know how to catch fish, but I'm going to teach you how to catch men. And we get a chance to see here a fishing trip that they're going to be on. And so we see that they were fishing buddies. But then also, if you remember, they have history together that whenever Jesus was uh, raised on the third day and the, and the sister came back to tell the disciples that there ain't nobody there. Peter and John in John chapter 20, verses three and four, it tells us that they take off running to go to the to the temple, I'm sorry, to the tomb. And uh, I love how John handles this. He, he says that, you know, in a nice way, basically, I outran Peter and I got there first. And so it's the dynamics between these two that that's fascinating. And so the Bible says that they are they're going to the temple. Now, the temple, it's it. The, the mount is there, but the actual temple is not there anymore. Jesus had told them that, listen, it's going to be destroyed. Not a stone going to be on top of each other. It's going to come down in, in 80, 70. That's exactly what happened. But uh, before then, it was very ornate structure. And so they are going to the temple to pray. The Bible says very specifically now. Here in the text, it says the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So if you want to know, bring that into our time That's 3 p.m. And so in the Jewish tradition, what we see here is that they would have been three different times in the day for that collective prayer time. And so you would have had it in the morning at nine in the morning. You'd had it at lunchtime, 12 p.m. And then you would have had it at 3 p.m. And so they're going up in this ladder on the back end of that time. And if you want to just look at a historical note, just get your little Daniel chapter six, verse 10 in your quiet time. And what you'll see there is uh, you remember they told Daniel he wasn't supposed to pray to any other God. And I love my boy. He opened up the windows and he faced toward Jerusalem and three times a day he prayed. And so you see him engaging uh, in that. And now the text gives us some geographical information uh, about this this scenario. So it says that there was a, a man who was lame from his mother's womb, meaning that uh, he had never been able to walk. So from his birth, uh, he could not walk and he was being carried along and uh, they would take him. Those who were carrying him and the text very clearly. Y'all notice it says every day and they would sit him down and they would sit him down at the beautiful gate of the temple. 
and he would ask for alms, which is another way of saying he would ask for money. He would ask for charitable giving or gifts, uh, some sort of sustenance to be able to take care of himself. Now, this idea of the beautiful gate, we don't know exactly which one it is because it's not there anymore. It got destroyed. Okay, but what we do know is before the destruction that there was a series of nine gates and uh, think about the, the temple this way, where you would have the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was for the people. That's where he would come in and, and work and move. And outside of that, you would get further and further and further apart. And so you would come in first to the Gentile court. And then in the Gentile court, there would be nine gates. And then the, the gates that would lead lead into the, the women's court and then men and then you get further and further in. And so where they would put him would be right there in the transition between the Gentile court and the women's court. And this particular gate that I believe it is would have been the eastern gate. And it was made of a bronze. Corinthian bronze is what the historical folk tell us and which would have given it a gold look. And so it was known as the beautiful gate. And so you have this man there who was having a very difficult time in his life. And he is at the temple at a very beautiful location, but he's still having a difficult time. And I can just tell you, you can be in the right place and still be experiencing the wrong things. Many times we don't think of it that way. But we're going to see here that uh, something is going to happen to change this man's life uh, forever. And so the text tells us that he was there and that he was asking for uh, for alms. He was asking for gifts. And in verse three says this, when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, uh, he began asking to receive Arms. So here we are. We have this man. And he sees Peter and John and he does what he is used to doing. He says, hey, can you give me something? Can you help me? Now, this man fascinates me. And I just want to highlight a few things. Because I believe that this is a great example of, of individuals in our lives and the world around us. And we'll get there on the back end. But this man, uh, he, he was uh, Physically broken in a sense. His legs did not work. His legs and he was physically broken. Now, you know, we can be emotionally broken. It doesn't tell us necessarily the emotional state that he has here, but I'm sure there was probably some struggle that he was experiencing there as well. But we know he was physically broken. We, we also know that um, he was in a very hopeless situation. And the reason why I say that is because the thing that he's asking for is not going to do anything about the problem that he that he has. He was asking for money. He was asking for alms. And, and what he needed was, let's just say it, we know the physical piece was to be healed physically. But ultimately, the greatest need that he had was to come to know God, to be in a relationship with the Lord. And he was asking for money and the money was not going to be able to help him either with his physical problem or with his spiritual problem. So ultimately, we see him being hopeless. And, you know, I find it fascinating that many times in our own lives, we will be asking for something that we want, but God will give us what we need. And this is the case here. This is the case. He was asking for what he wanted. He wanted alms. He wanted a charitable donation, a gift. But what's getting ready to happen, though, is God is going to give him what he needs. Now, before we unpack what happens and we've already read it, but before we unpack it, can I just say for a minute? Did you see our boys, Peter and John? Did you see how they acted here? I, I think this is fascinating. What says in verse four it says this, but Peter, along with John, did you see it says fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And I think we have much that we can learn from Peter and John here is that I think there are two things that we see in their life. Number one, they were sensitive. And number two, they were discerning. 
And we think about the needs of folks around us, the struggle of, of lives around us. It's very important that we are sensitive to what's happening around us. And if we're not careful, listen, they were going to worship, praise. They're like, man, if I mess with you, then I'm going to be late to this prayer time. But they were sensitive to what was going on. They knew that the prayer time was three o'clock. I guarantee you they didn't make it on time. <laughs> they knew. And so can I just by way of application just say that in our own lives, might it be that we are sensitive to the needs of individuals around us, to the needy, to the individual who is struggling? Because if we're not careful, God, God can be putting folks right in our path each and every day. And we praying, God, help me. Send me somebody. And they, just every day person right there in your cubicle. But you never ask them. You never know. Right there when you're at the restaurant, go to the same places in your in your in your dorm rooms, on your athletic teams, at your job, in your families. Might we be sensitive to the needs of those around us, to the struggle, to the circumstances of those around us. But also might we be discerning, be discerning on the best way to meet the need. And that's what I love about what Peter does here. Notice how he how he handles this in verse four, says he fixed his gaze on him. He said, look at us, verse five. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene he says, walk. Now, can I tell you, Peter wasn't a prosperity preacher here because he said silver and gold I don't have. They like, no, no, I got all the silver and gold. And what, listen, you can go ahead and give me what you got, too. That's how they act. But we see here very clearly this movement where he is discerning. He knows what needs to happen. And then he executes. He says, what I've got, I, I'm, I'm giving to you. Now, can I just say to you in God's timing is fascinating here. That, that And all the times, you know, Jesus went to the temple. We know he went to the temple because a couple of occasions when he went there, there were some guys in there. They were exchanging money. And the Gentile court, you know what he did? He ran them out of there. So, so my, the thought I've had many times is in his timing, you know, was there ever a time where Jesus was at the temple and this guy here was at the temple, but maybe they didn't connect? Or why hadn't he been healed up until this point? Because I'm telling you, Jesus could have did it just like that while he was here. God's timing is is so, so spectacular here. Many times we miss it and don't understand it, that it was for this moment at this time to have this result that's going to come as a result of God's work in this life. And can I just tell you, God's timing is not our timing. His timing is perfect. Even though we might not like it sometimes, we might not agree with it many times. Just the timing of how he orchestrates things here is fascinating. The, the disciples, they went every day back and forth to the temple. So why on this occasion was it that time? Was it, did they miss each other? What happened? And we got to trust God's timing and the way in which he works and moves. Did you notice what happened here? Because I got to say it. When, when Peter does this, he says, get up. And he says, he, walk, he says, walk. And then verse seven says he seized him by the right hand. I think that's important. You see God doing something that only God can do. That's the miracle. Like Peter can't do the miracle. Peter is not the one who did this. God is the only one that affects miracles. But what Peter does do, though, is he extends a right hand. So I see a twofold piece that we are trusting that God is going to do what only he can do as we continue to extend and extend a hand to help as the role that he has given us. Now. When he stands up, I want you to catch it now, verse seven, it says this, and seizing him by the right hand, he, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. 
Now, this, I love this now. Now, catch it. Now, listen, look at our guy, though, because the Bible tells us on later in the, in the next chapter that this is like he was over 40 years old. So can you imagine all those years you've watched all these people walk back and forth? You saw the boys ripping and running and playing and you've never been able to be a part of that. And I want you to look at what happens. He's he leaping up and down, jumping up and down. And he entered into the temple and it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. Now. When you look at this, whose faith made this individual well? Was it his? And the text doesn't say that. <laughs> We're going to see real clearly because, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a ministry or watched ministry where sometimes they'll say they have these healing crusades and people will go there and they don't get healed. And you know what the, the, the healing person tells them? It's your fault. It's you the reason why you didn't get you, you didn't get healed. You didn't get delivered. It's your fault. Can you imagine that? This individual been living with this struggle, this this difficulty. And you're going to tell me they had enough hope and trust to come all the way here. And then you say it's, it's, it's your fault. Well, in here we see it was Peter's faith. So many times what we need to tell them, oh, man, it's your fault. You're the one. You're the reason. You're the charlatan. But that's a topic for a whole nother day. <laughs> but I do believe what the Lord is giving us here. He's given us a, a glimpse. And I just want to quote for you Isaiah 35, 6, if you. Take a note, just jot it down. In this whole chapter, a great chapter, Isaiah 35, it talks about the way things will be in the millennium. And I just want you to I'm just going to read the first piece. You can get all the rest of it. But I just want to read the first piece and tell me if this sounds familiar. It says this. Then the lame will do what? Leap. Everybody see that? The lame will what? Leap like a deer. Everybody catch that? And so what's happening here, I think this is just an appetizer. This is just this, the salsa on the table to what's going to come in the millennial kingdom of Christ. Like everybody, it's going to be the condition of everybody that, that they will ever talk. There'll be no mute, no lame. He's going to even change the whole structure of the, of the city when he comes. And I think this is just a small sample. I want to highlight something as a way of encouragement. We see the power in that immediately he's changed. But did you catch what he does? It says that he he goes into the temple with them. He, he didn't go to tell mama. He didn't go to tell his boy. He didn't go to tell. He went in to worship. He went in with them. And how do we know he was a, he was a worshiper? Because look at what it says in the text. Verse eight. He was walking, leaping. And what else? Praising God. You know, I find it is so important that whenever the Lord works and he moves, that we circle back and we make sure we praise him. Many times we praying and praying and asking and wanting and wanting. And when the Lord does it, we get excited that he does it. But we forget to come back and say, Lord, thank you. I praise you. Like we forget the fact to come back and give him the honor and the glory. And there's something to be said about coming back and praising the Lord. Now, the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, you know, is God still in the healing business today? Does he still heal and work? Well, I'm just going to tell you, the brother that's preaching out myself, I believe that he is in the healing business today. I believe that God still works. He still heals. He still moves. Now, I, you know, here's the thing. If you got struggles health wise, let us know. We will we will be glad to pray for you. Pray and ask God to heal, work and move. And I think it's important that we recognize two things, though, that there's a sense in which God, when he heals, he can heal on this earth. Like you have an illness that's of this world, that's earthly, and he can heal and move and work without any human beings interfering. He can still do that. I believe that. Right. So far, so good. 
But there are times where God does not heal. We pray, we talk, he does not heal. And the very thing that you are sick with or that you are going through, you actually perish from. And when I talk to children of God, folks that love the Lord, when we pray and we ask them to be healed and they, and they pass away to go be with the Lord, can I just tell you what just happened? He just healed them perfectly. See, the healing that happens here is not forever. <laughs> it's temporary. But, but the healing that we are asking and we are trusting is that God, whenever you go to be with him, that that's perfect healing. There's not going to be any lame, sick, difficulties, anything like that in heaven. And so there are times where God decides not to heal here, but ultimately it's, he's going to heal. Now, I also need to make sure I clarify to say that I believe that God can also use means other than just him intervening in the situation. Like, like for example, let me just say it like this. Whenever uh, God works, you know, well, he can use farmers. We got any farmers in here? <laughs> any farmer in here ever uh, made the food grow? Can you make it happen? No. <laughs> you can set the conditions as such, but, they, but you can't make it happen. So can I ask who, who makes it happen? Who's the one that made it do that? The Lord. Y'all look at me like, you know this. I need y'all to help me to help me. The Lord. So ultimately, who get the credit? The Lord does. The, the Lord, he can use he can use human beings, physicians. We got physicians in here, had some in the first service. We got them in this service. He can use physicians. Just quick question. Who you think made them and their ability to learn and study and the information? Who who, who made them all the ingenuity and all the ways in which they think he, at the end of the day, they didn't make themselves. <laughs> he going to get the credit. First responders, therapists, parents. So, so God can work. He can work even in the midst. He can use people and he can use the, the things that he has put together for, 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 for special and even I would say even miraculous things to take place. He can do it. I believe he still does it today because it's the same yesterday, today and forever. Now, now, as we look at this. Did you notice the response of the people in verse 10 to the power of God? It says they were taking note. Of him, the, the individual, the guy who had been lame. And uh, notice they, they knew him as being the one who he used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple and beg alms. And notice this, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. See, I'm convinced that when God works in a life, when he works in a life, it's not just only that he will work in that life, but ultimately what he is desiring to do is to work through that life. So whenever God works in you, can I just tell you, it ain't just all about you. Ultimately, he's going to work through you to be able to continue to work and move in other lives. And we're going to see exactly how that happens. Y'all ready for it? Second movement, we're going to see the authority of Christ. We saw the power. We saw the power of Christ. He's the only one that can make somebody who would lame at birth be able to come back and be able to walk. No, no medicine, nothing. Boom, he does it. Now we get to see the authority. Let's look at verses 11 through 16. It says, while he was clinging to Peter. And John, all the people, they ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or body we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus to whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. 
but you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. So let's look at the authority here. You see, God, I believe when he works and he moves, it's not just in, but he wants to work through. Not just in us, but through us. And so the idea of authority is that he is in charge, that Jesus is in charge. Not only does he have the power and the ability, but he, but he also has the authority, meaning he's in, he's in charge. And just in case you didn't know that, I want you to look at a passage here with me to see how Peter handles this. So this miracle happens. And the first thing that happens, Peter could have said, you know, I'm going to start Peter, you know, apostolic ministries and get to selling cloths and water and just do all this stuff. He could have did that. Right. And drew all this attention to himself. Is that what he did? Nope. He deflected the attention. He sent it right back to where it was supposed to be. And he knew to do that because that's what the Lord told him to do. Look with me in, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew five, Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Matthew 5, 16, what does it say? Says this, let, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Is, is that what happened here? Yep. Them brothers are walking to the temple. Everybody knew the man who was lame and they knew that he had been lame there asking for money. Peter, that he, they roll up. Peter and John roll up. They, they see this man healed. It's a good work. It says he walks in with them into the temple. He's clinging to them. They associating it with Peter and John. They said, look at these good works. But then notice what happens. Says this, the deflection happens and, and, and glorify your father who is in heaven. The deflection happens where Peter's like, look at me, look, look at us. You think we did something. He says in verse 12, listen, men, men you, you saw and you, and you think by your amazement that it's something that we did by our power, our own piety. Like we are the ones that did this. Immediately he deflects and he gives honor and glory to the Lord. And he tells him, he says, are y'all amazed? Verse 12, why, why are you amazed? That's a great question. Because from Peter's perspective, he already knew who, who was in control. If you're taking notes, just jot down Matthew 28, 18. I want you to read this. Somebody needs some encouragement. Jesus talking to the disciples says this. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, most authority has been given to me. Did I, oh, I missed it, didn't I? I didn't get it right. What, what does it say? How much authority? All authority. Y'all are here with me now. All authority has been given to me. Where at? In heaven and on earth. Everybody see that so far? So, so it's very key here. When he deflects, Peter understands this, and he also is highlighting here. He's like, listen, why y'all amazed? The Lord, he got all the authority. He got it in heaven. He got it on earth. He got all the authority, all the jurisdiction, all the power. It comes from him. It's in heaven, and it's on earth. Why are you amazed? Now, I love what he does here, though, when he sits to set the authority and he challenges these individuals. Did y'all catch what he does? And when he says it, notice this. He said, it's not about us. It's not about our piety. It's not that we so in love with God and so holy and so powerful and do all these things. He said, that's not what it's about at all. Verse 13 says, the God, everybody catch it? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers, what he does is he sets this thing in the past. And he says, the reason why you shouldn't be amazed is, you know, what kind of God we dealing with? 
You know what kind of God we serve. You know what kind of God we are dealing with. Why are you surprised? He says, we're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's just break this down for a second. Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. First, he says, Abraham. Y'all remember Brother Abraham? Y'all remember Brother Abraham? What did God do in Abraham's life that was so fascinating? A whole lot of things. And what he's saying is, is y'all shouldn't be surprised that God could do something in a man who had never walked life. You know, he was like 40 something. You shouldn't be surprised because you know what kind of God we're dealing with here. You remember Abraham? Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they had got up old in age before they, where they shouldn't have been able to have kids. Y'all remember this? And what happened? Sister Sarah, was well, she shopping in the in the in the section with the babies, sec, baby section. And I could just imagine the sisters in the day like, what's she doing? Are you having a grandbaby? She's like, oh, no, I'm going to have a baby. It's my baby. Can you imagine that? That, that God would, would take these two individuals that's old now and, and they have a child. Like that, he said, you shouldn't be surprised because he the God of Abraham. You remember how he worked in Abraham's life. But not only is he Abraham, but who else? Who else? Isaac. Oh, what about Isaac? Y'all remember Brother Isaac? Laying on the altar, getting ready to be snuffed out. Y'all hear me? <laughs> snuffed out. Life is gone. What does the Lord do? Ram in the thicket provides right there. Boom. You, you, this shouldn't surprise you. Abraham, Isaac, who else? Jacob. Anything happened in Jacob's life? Well, that boy Jacob was something else. Y'all remember Jacob's ladder where the Lord allowed Jacob, even though the way in which he had was acting and he was, you know, conniving and cheating folk and acting up. He still allowed him to be able to see how his how, how angels come, how God works and how he ministers like this shouldn't surprise you. Can I just preach just for one second? Let me just share a few other things here, because when we talk about God, who, who are we talking about? We talking about the same God. Why they shouldn't be surprised. The same God who, uh, when he was delivering his people, took a river, the, the Red Sea, I'm sorry, the, the Red Sea, and he split this thing. Split it. It humped up on each side, and they came on dry land. He said, you shouldn't be, y'all know who we're dealing with? The same God that after they came through on dry ground, they wandered in the wilderness. How many years y'all got it? 40. Took care of them 40 years. Some of us ain't even 40 yet. We don't even know what that's like, okay? That's a long time to be wandered in the wilderness. And you know what he did? He provided for them. Let me just give you one way. Y'all remember the manna? The what is it? They, they had food in the, the desert food. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? It's amazing to me that he like, you shouldn't be surprised. This is the, the God who we are talking about here. One more, one more, one more. Just one more. Y'all remember Brother Goliath. Who would here remember Goliath? Hey, I said it this morning. Goliath was a well-balanced breakfast now. He was a big fella now. And you remember what the Lord did? What did he do? He took a slingshot and a rock and, and, and killed the, the, the greatest warrior. They have, they, they've sent him out there because they're they going to intimidate, talk crazy with a slingshot and a rock. Knocked him out. Took care of him. So he's saying, listen, don't you, you know, y'all surprised about this? You forget who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers, the one who has shown time and time and time again who he is, how faithful, how strong he is. Why should we be surprised? I'm not saying don't be amazed. Like, wow, God, look at you. We, I mean, he continues to, 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 to show us great things, but he's saying to y'all, y'all, y'all know better. Then he goes to preaching. Y'all ready for it? Let's just lay down the dynamics of what he says here. Because he's going to use this opportunity. See, the miracle was a sign so that way he could get to a deeper reality with the individuals that were there, that were standing. He wasn't going to let that. He was a good preacher. He didn't let a good opportunity go to waste. 
And I want you to see how he handles this. Well, first and foremost, in verse 13, he says that the God of our fathers, notice this, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Everybody catch that? Meaning it's already done. It's an established fact that Christ has been glorified. The attention has been drawn to him, that he has been glorified, that the splendor, who he is, is already there. And so he highlights this construction. He says his servant, Jesus. Now, many times when we think about Christ as a servant, people think that he quit being God. He still is God. He was just here serving. He was on a mission to faithfully follow the will of his father. So that way there could be a perfect way of salvation so we could get in there. Let me just say, I can, I can read it better than I can preach it here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 11, this idea of the servant. And so what he's doing here now, he's talking about the authority. Why in the world should we be able to trust not just the power, but also the, the, the way in which Christ works, that he's in charge? Catch it now. Philippians 2, 5 says this, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. That don't mean he didn't become God. How did he empty himself? You ready for it? Taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Y'all ready for it now? Here we go. For this reason also God did what? Highly exalted. Y'all weren't ready for it. Let me back up. I'm going to need your help. For this reason also God did what? Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above how many names? Every one of them. Every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when he says, understand the authority, where is it coming from? He has already been inside. This is who he is. This is not, you know, we, 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 we have to come in so this will be true of him. No, this is already who he is. What we need to do is go ahead and acknowledge it. And if we decide in this life not to acknowledge it, you're going to acknowledge it anyways. But it ain't going to be for salvation. <laughs> this is who he is already. Not only do we see that he's glorified, but did you catch your boy Peter? Now, he was hitting hard here. He told him, did you see it in verse 13? He said, you delivered and you disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had he was decided to release him. He said, y'all responsible. Y'all are responsible. Not only that, though, did you see the other way he described the Lord? Verse 14 says this, but you, you disowned the holy and righteous one. And you ask for a murderer to be granted to you. I mean, he's talking about the dynamics between uh, Barabbas and Jesus. You remember whenever Pilate was there, he was trying to help the people out. He was trying to give them the answer. They wasn't taking it. So he said, let me just bring out Barabbas. We're going to see what we'll do. Maybe they'll get it right. And he said, give us the murderer. Give us Barabbas. Can you imagine that? But can I tell you what that teaches us is that there will be nobody neutral. You, you, you either get Jesus, the holy and righteous one, or you get the murderer, the enemy. That's the way it works. You either get Jesus, the holy and righteous one, or you get the murderer. Now, the reason why this authority is so important is because this is how we get connected with God, that he is holy and righteous, and we are not. And so we get the, get the connection. Take, take this down. Hebrews 7, 26, because this is talking about how Christ is distinguished. You see, we saw earlier how his splendor and his glory. Now we get to see his distinction. Hebrews 7, 26, talking about Jesus as our high priest says this, for it was fitting to us. It was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Y'all catch it now. Y'all ready? 
holy. What else? Innocent. What else? Undefiled. What else? Separated from sinners. <laughs> I don't know if y'all excited as I am about this. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. So that's where the authority comes from. He is, he is, he is separate. I mean, he's not a sinner like us, but understand he took on flesh and dwelt among us to draw us in to be able to have a relationship. So the authority that's in his name, number one, we see his splendor, glory, hour, but then we also see he is distinguished to connect us in a relationship. But the problem is, is they, they picked the murderer. And many times, listen, you're either with the Lord or you're with the enemy. That's the way it works. Not only that, though, can I tell y'all some other things that he said? Y'all don't seem to disagree. In verse 15, he tells them, you put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead. A fact to which we are witnesses. Now, that this prince of life, that means that he is the source of life, the author of life. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when you when I read it, I get mightily encouraged. And the reason why is because when he says that he is the author and the source of life, meaning they, they put to death the prince of life or the source of life. But guess what? He didn't stay that way. <laughs> They had thought they thought they gave a word about how it was supposed to be. But the Lord always got the final word. Look, look with me in uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 16 and 17. And can I just tell you, when I when I look at this, he's the source of life. That's physical and spiritual. That Christ is all in all. Now, there are going to be some folks tell you, oh, this world just came together. Big bang. And just don't believe it for one second. Let me tell you why. For by him, you know who that him is? That's Jesus. By him, all things were created. Y'all ready for it? Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. How many things? All things have been created through him. Guess what? And for him. If you didn't know, it's all about him. Here, here we go. This is where I get real excited. Though. He is before all things. I Meaning, He's not a created being. He's not part. Of, he's, he is above it, outside of it. That, that's where the authority rests. He is God. He is outside of it. Now catch it, though. And in him, all things hold together. Y'all catch that? So what I love about this now is that when I'm thinking about our church family and I'm thinking, Lord, as we stay in you, guess what? You're going to hold all things together. It don't matter how much shaking goes on. It don't matter how much shifting goes on, how much hardship goes on. You're going to hold all things together. When I look at my brothers and sisters, I look at your life and you're going through hardships and you're going through financial trouble and you're going through health and you got to make decisions and decisions with your kids and all those other things. And I'm saying, as long as you're in him, he going to hold all things together. And I'm looking at my own life and I'm like, Lord, you're going to hold all things together. No matter how crazy it gets, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how wonderful we think, oh, it's going to be great on this earth. And then we get boom, legs get knocked out from underneath us. He holds all things together. I love this. Because he's in control. Hear me now. When, when he when he lays this thing out. And he says, catch it now. That he that he he was raised from the dead. I love this construction here. He says, y'all put y'all tried to kill the author of life. But how many know you can't kill if he authored the life, you can't kill him. He ain't going to stay dead. You 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 killed him. You thought you had him, but he came back. It's a great reminder to us that in these years right here, 2021, there is still an empty tomb in Israel. And they're going to continue to be one because he already defeated it. So you kill him. But the Lord had the final word. The last thing we're going to see is the reputation. 
the Lord's reputation. We, we've already seen the power. We saw him change this individual's life. Can I just tell you, he's still changing lives today. We saw the authority. How in the world can he do these things? Well, he laid out very clearly the authority that the Lord has. The last thing we're going to see is the reputation. The reputation. Look at me, verses 17 through 26. It says, and now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, the Lord God, who will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and the successors onward also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. The last thing we're going to see is the Lord's reputation. You know, reputations are important. And we see that before us, what the apostle Peter does here is he's going to tap into the reality that God had already been laying out the plan that he wanted his people to understand. He wanted the folks to recognize Christ. He wanted them to see that God had been laying out the plan. And he, and he says in verse 17, he, he been, he, he been hitting them hard. Like you did this, you did this, you did this. But then look at verse 17. And now brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance. You see that? And so I know you acted in ignorance, just like your rulers did. But what we have to remember and what he's trying to communicate to them is that just because you act in, acted in ignorance does not mean you are not guilty. If we leave here today and we get on the interstate and we run about 85, we didn't see the sign. We didn't see no sign. And the blue light special come behind you. They pull you over. And you say, hey, you know what? I didn't know it was seven down here. Guess what? You're still guilty, even though you didn't know. And so what he's saying is, listen, you are still guilty, even though you did not know. You, you acted in ignorance. You, you didn't know all the dynamics. You, you are still guilty. And what I love about his movement now, he is trying to pull them in to see that, yep, you, you, were, you were a part of the plan. You were part of the process. But understand, Christ's death was no accident. This was no accident. It was a plan. It was planned. And you carried out that. You carried it out. It's planned and you carried it out. And he says to them that this was no accident, that the Messiah, that the death of Christ, that it was no, no accident. And the way in which he lays this out for us is he tells us that in the Old Testament, that, that it announced 
beforehand. By, notice this in verse 70. How many other prophets? All the prophets that the Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled. And then he tells them in verse 19 what they need to do. He says, listen to me. I need you to repent. I need you to return. He says that way you can be right with God. That way you can you can have refreshing and you can have restoration if you will repent and you will turn to him. And ultimately that he might send Jesus. What he was calling for was individual and national repentance, individual and national repentance. And he was giving this on the basis of the word that already had been spoken. He says, heaven got to receive him for a little bit. I want everybody to notate verse 21. For what that means is that Jesus is not going to always be up in heaven. That means he's coming back. <laughs> if you didn't know, there it is. But did you catch? He quoted Moses. And I want to give you the, the quotation is Deuteronomy 18, 18 and 19. In verse 22, he quotes. Him. And he and he quotes him. He says, listen, there's going to be a prophet that's going that's going to come like me. This is Moses speaking. He's letting the people know that's going to be that's going to come a prophet singular like me. Everybody catch that. Now, I, I've been in college. I've been all over the place. And people like to say, oh, this, this ain't talking about Jesus. I've had Muslims tell me this time about Muhammad. Oh, ooh, it is. OK, well, let's just let's just look at this for a second, because I believe that right here we have the airtight reason for why Christ is the only way to, to be able to be saved. And we're going to see the way God lays out to them. He says, like like Moses. Right. So what are the comparisons? Well, let's just look at it for a second. Moses. Everybody remember where was Moses born? Everybody remember? Y'all remember Egypt, right? OK, Egypt. Everybody got that question already. Moses born in Egypt. You remember at the time in which Moses was born, the boys were being killed. If a boy was born, you kill the child. Girl born, you let the child live. Moses' parents, they said, we're not about that life. We're not killing our baby. And so they kept him alive until he got too, too big. He's making a lot of noise and ruckus. And his mom, they, they put, a, put him in an ark and they put him in, in the river and pushed him out. And you remember Pharaoh's daughter found him. And so he grew up. He grew up after he was winged, grew up in Pharaoh's house, household. Let me just pause Moses for a minute. Let me just play Jesus for a second. And whenever Christ came here, if you remember that whenever he was born, that there was a decree. Once the wise men, they came in and they told they told her, hey, we, we come to worship the king. You think you're the king, but we come to worship the king. I don't know about you, but if there's a guy that thinks he's the king, and he's sitting in the palace and you tell him you're not the one. It probably ain't gonna go so well. <laughs> and so he said, well, you let me know where the boy is. I'll come worship, too. And they didn't come back. They went to see Jesus, gave him the gifts. And ultimately, a vision came. And you know where Jesus ultimately went to go live? Y'all know where? Egypt. Where was Moses born? Egypt. Pharaoh got so mad. You know what happened? What he did to all the boys? He killed them. When you think about their life, you think about Moses' life and ministry. He was a deliverer. You, you remember he came through, came through the Red Sea. Then he was in the wilderness. In the midst of the wilderness, he got the law. He got the, the, the commandments for the people to be able to, to guide and direct them. You look at Jesus, he comes, he's in Egypt, he comes out of Egypt, he begins his ministry, he's baptized, comes through the water, you know where he goes to next? The wilderness. Get your little Matthew 4, goes to the wilderness, takes care of the devil in the wilderness. The enemy ain't got nothing on our Lord, I'm just trying to tell you. Took care of him in the wilderness, survived the wilderness experience. Then he comes out and he goes to preaching. One of the greatest sermons you're going to read, the Beatitudes, he's laying out God's will and plan for his people. You remember when Moses was in the, in the desert and the folks got hungry, they said, Give, that manna came down, right? Jesus providing bread for the people, 5,000, took care of them. We see he's the deliverer. Moses delivered the people from Egypt. Jesus delivers us from sin, Satan, death. So that, that's the comparison. You, you know, when I look at this, 
we think of him as a deliverer, but that's not all that he is. You remember that Moses also was a judge. You, you remember he went to his, his father-in-law, Jethro. Most of us think that's an Arkansas name. That's from the Bible. You hear what I'm telling you? Think Jethro just, that's Arkansas. That's Bible. And Jethro was like, look, you're you going to wear yourself out. You're going to have to get some help to lead these people. And Moses was a judge. And ultimately, let me tell you, Jesus is going to judge. If you get your little revelation, what you're going to find out, they're going to be thrown set up. And he's going to judge. And so we see here, we see the reputation. We see that the Lord had laid out the plan for who and how the Messiah would operate. You know, one last thing, and then I'll close. Did you see the promise? Not only do we see the prophecy, but we, there's a promise right here. I can't miss this. This is for us. Y'all ready? <laughs> In verse 25, says this. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham. Now, y'all ready for this? This is, this is, this is good. Y'all better be excited. My Gentile brothers and sisters, y'all better be excited here. It says, and in your seed, what do you notice about seed? It's singular. It's not plural. It's not seeds. It's seed, singular. Singular. And in your seed, how many other families of the earth? All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Meaning that this work that's going to happen, listen, it's going to hit Jew and Gentile. We're going to get all them families. We're going to get everybody. That's how we, we get in this thing. But he goes on to tell him, he says, but listen, God, he came to you first. He's coming to you first. He coming to cover the people first. He giving you an opportunity first that you might be willing to turn away from your wicked ways. And can I just tell you this morning? I'm coming to offer you the same thing Peter was offering to them. I'm offering to you. If you will be willing to repent, which means it's a change of mind that ultimately leads to a change of direction, change of life. And I'm, and I'm offering it to you so that ultimately, like it says in verse 19, you, you can be made right with God. He will wipe away your sins. You can be brought into a relationship where you can have refreshing and you'll be brought into a restorative work. That's the same thing that I'm offering to you right now. And the reason why I'm offering it to you is because there's only one place that it can be found. It's only one place it can be found. And I'm going to just skip ahead just a little bit in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I got to get it this morning. I, we're going to get it next week too. But I want to close with this. It can only be found in one place. And I know that what I'm getting ready to read is not politically correct. But let me just tell you, I'd rather be biblically correct than politically correct. And this is what it says. And there is salvation in no one else. Everybody see that? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Everybody catch that. That when we look at the work, when we look at, at Christ's name, who he is, the character, the content of who he is and what he has done, he is the only one that satisfies the demands that are necessary for salvation. The God man, the God side, holy and righteous, the man side taking on flesh, dwelling among us. He's the only one, the only way he has the authority. He laid it down. He has shown us time and time again. He is the only one. And that is why he is the only way. I don't care what nobody else. Say. That's what the Lord has already let us know that this is the way it is. Now, the question that I have is, have you been able to come that way? Have you been able to come? Have you been willing to come to Christ? 
You see, when I think about that lame man, he reminds me of the world around us. The world around us, just like him, hopeless, helpless, and asking for what it wants, but not what it needs. So close, so close. He, he, he was right there in the temple, right there in front, but did not have the connection. And what I'm saying to you here is you don't have to stay that way. Those of you watching, those of you here, Christ has come. And can I tell you, he's got the power. He can do something about the greatest problem you have, and that's sin. Christ has the authority. He got all the credentials. I'm just telling you. And if you don't believe it, just look at it. Look, look up his reputation. It's laid out before us. Have you been willing to surrender your life to him? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and response, so if there's anyone here, they, they don't know you. As Lord and Savior, they've, they've never surrendered their life. I pray, Lord, they would call out to you and they would say, Lord Jesus, save me. That they would say, Lord, forgive me. Refresh my life. Restore. Lord, I believe that by faith that they call out, they trust in you. And Lord, that's exactly what you will do. That if they will repent, they will have a change of mind that ultimately leads to a change of life. They think differently about you. By faith, they trust you. They think differently about themselves and their need for you. And Lord, you'll come in and you'll change their life. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. You know, Lord, sometimes we, we forget what we have in you and our relationship with you. The power and the authority and the reputation. And Lord, I'm praying that you'd help us to be faithful. That, Lord, just like Peter and John, Lord, that we would be sensitive to what's going on around us. And, Lord, we would see people, we would see the opportunities that people wouldn't be just pet projects, but, Lord, that'd be relationship. Lord, they raised him up by his hand, and, Lord, he was clinging to him in the midst of all this. And, Lord, that would be connection and relationship. And, then, Lord, you would use our lives to change lives. Lord, there are people around us who are broken, people who are around us, Lord, who are hopeless each and every day. And I pray, Lord, you would give us the sensitivity to see it. You give us the discernment to know how to best deal with it. And that, Lord, you would continue to expand your kingdom day by day. Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and prayer, I pray you have your way, that you would be honored and glorified by our praise and our worship. And, Lord, that you would change lives. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God, that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one believing that Jesus Christ died 
and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you and that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com slash give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.